It's Texas OU week on Football on the 40. Over the next hour, we're going to provide a recap of the TCU game, an in-depth analysis of Texas OU, another legendary Longhorn moment. We'll be welcoming in special guest Mary Page Harris, who will be uh, having a special segment on fashion of our uh, esteemed first lady, L'Oreal Sarkeesian, and the ever-popular betting corner. I'm your co-host, Jake Robinson. Also joining us are Bowen Kai, Kevin Mathis, Andrew Harris, and our host, or our producer, Hamilton Lizer. Let's get started. It's the best week of the year, boys. Kev, you have this opportunity to uh, say why you're sorry. <sighs> last week, last week, I continued to be down on the horns, and admittedly, I picked TCU and the under. Uh, and you parlayed them. It wasn't a popular pick, but I think at some point in the game last weekend, we all felt that I was right in some way, shape, or form, especially after the opening kickoff. But I, I have to publicly acknowledge that I was wrong. I'm glad that I was. Um, so I'll try to be better moving forward. <laughs> nice, Kev. Takes a big man to, to own up for his mistakes. Yes. <laughs> Proud of you. But did you own up to all of your mistakes from last weekend? I will admit that I was uh, so nervous about the game that I intentionally planned a round of golf that kicked off as the second quarter kicked off (laughs) and made the conscious decision not to be on the couch in front of me uh, just in case, just in case it didn't go our way, our way. Um, The L's, the L's really hit hard for me, so I'd rather be, you know, what do they say? A day on the golf course is better than getting curb stomped by TCU. I, I think that's I think that's about right. I think that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> that was the idea, anyways. Kev, your sins are forgiven. <sighs> right. That's Amazing. enough. That's enough pessimism. It's Texas OU week. So uh, before we get into uh, um, looking forward at this week's game, let's go ahead and start re- recapping the previous week. Uh, let's start with some overreaction observations. I can go first. Um, so I think my biggest overreaction is I feel like Anthony Cook's sack fumble was the biggest defensive play that we've had all season. I say that because we went into halftime. We were up six points. We got the ball to start the third, had a three and out. And then TCU had the ball on our around 30-yard line. And Anthony just came on a free blitz, hit that sack fumble, huge momentum swing. Even though we didn't really capitalize on the turnover, we only got a field goal out of it. That was big for us. I mean, I feel like we were all pretty collectively nervous that we were going to blow it. They're about to score and take the lead. Um, But yeah, I feel like that was, I was deaf. I feel like that was definitely the biggest defensive play of this, of the season so far. Yeah, I agree. Oh. oh, just kidding. Andy, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I was about to say, I, I definitely agree with your take on that. And I feel like if Todd Orlando was still our defensive coordinator, he would have messed up that blitz somehow, some way. So thankful that we have Coach Pete on our side. Yeah, they would have they would have for sure read that. That it really it was a really great play call. 
I think for me, my overreaction is that the final drive of the game, not might be, or we hope it is. I think the final drive of that game is going to be the inflection point in Texas football. Um, why? Because the way that we finish that game is going to bolster our confidence, our physicality, and you know our our belief in ourselves that we can pulverize and break down our opponents throughout the course of the game with our rushing attack. Um, the Horns had to overcome a lot this game. TCU, you know, is dynamic and has had our number in the last 10 years. It was a big road game. The weather was supposed to be bad. We lost uh, Denzel Okafor at left guard after, you know, several games and, and the offensive line kind of starting to come together. Um, Sark showed a lot of belief in running the ball and what he wants the identity of the team to be in the fourth quarter. And I looked back and on the last two drives of this game, not only did we run the ball a lot, but Bijan ran the ball for 11 of our 13 snaps to end the game, not including uh, the plays in the victory formation. And in the midst of of all that, you know, the team, we got stuffed at the goal line on our second to last drive of this game, missed out on points going forward on fourth and goal with Bijan and Sark kept riding with Bijan to, to ice the game in the final drive, which was capped off by some massive and amazing runs by Bijan. So my overreaction is, is that was the inflection point and we're moving forward. We're trending upward now. Hey, Kev. Yeah. Do you know that we still have Bijan for another year? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Easy with that, Andy. We're so early in on this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to brag for a second because last week I said TC, the TCU game was going to be like the 2018 Kansas State game. And you know what? Both games ended up as a five-point victory for the Horns. So I'm going to have to brag. I don't usually get things right, but I got that one right. Um, my overreaction for the game is, uh, we're going to Arlington. I am confident that we're going to the big 12 title game. Um, I don't know if we'll be the top team in that, um, in the championship game or the second team, but I'm feeling pretty good about our chances about going to the title game. Uh, TCU was a major hurdle and it's a way different team, um, this past weekend than what it was in Fayetteville. Um, and speaking of Fayetteville, I really think that was a blessing in disguise, even though that game sucked. Um, we all felt like crap for the next couple of days afterwards. But in the long run, I think that's going to give us a lot of momentum um, uh, going forward. And we're going to look back at that game and see that was a point in the year where things turned around. Yeah, <clears throat> those are all really good takes. I agree with all of them, Andy. Um, for me this week, it was just, we all know it was a terrible start to the game. Um, and it was pretty just meh after that. But I think that this game was um, was big in my mind because just looking back at past Texas teams, after that 90-yard kickoff uh, return to start the game, I feel like we would have given up. And uh, it just never really felt like the team gave up in, in any ways whatsoever. So, I'm all in on this team. It just feels different than past teams. They seem more disciplined um, and, dare I say, well-coached. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm liking Sark. Whoa. So uh, my overreaction so far is uh, uh, is definitely though we're third in the rankings in the Big 12. I think we're we've shown on the field we are the best team in the Big 12 right now, uh, and that'll be solidified this week. Uh, early prediction when we beat OU, and then uh, definitely jump past Oklahoma State in the rankings in the process. The weird thing about where we are right now in the season is it's it's hard as a fan to feel like any of that is an overreaction because know, right? we, we're really riding high. And, you know, that, that sets you up for a lot of sadness, though. Wow. <laughs> Optimistic Kev is here in full force. I, I guess I need a based on this conversation. I need a I need a pencil in December 4th on my calendar <laughs> flight, a flight like, in and out of Dallas. Me too. Honestly, I know we're not doing this in this uh, in this podcast, but I would have already moved Sark up another spot on the on the historic coach rankings. I don't even know what my first. One I'm, I'm you had Charlie at some absurd number, Jake. <laughs> I think he had Charlie at two. Yeah, type two. I remember He's that. A good guy, what can I say? All right, let's uh, let's move on into the mistake fire keep portion of the show. Um, Kevin, what do you got this week on your mistake fire keep? So um, I'll be brief here. I mean, the, I was just ex- hoping for a win and, and we got it. So the mistake, you know, it's easy to nitpick um, our performance because it was, it was not ideal, right? We made a lot of mistakes throughout the game. But the biggest one I felt like was Dicker, the kicker, not kicking it through the end zone on the opening kickoff. Jake, you mentioned the opening kick return that really hurt, made everyone's eyes open and kind of questioned what, what the hell we were doing in Fort Worth. Um, but he, he made the adjustment and started blasting every kickoff through through the end zone in that game and uh, took away the opportunity for them to do the same thing twice in that game. Um, so he corrected the mistake, and I think we'll start to see him putting absolute missiles over the end zone for the rest of the season because our defense is good enough to you know, start defending at the 25-yard line and, and prevent points. Um, for firing this week, I did some research on this one, and, and this was based in, in the game day experience in Fort Worth. I think for a TCU fan, that game last weekend was their biggest home game of the year. And you could blame weather, and you could blame the recent loss to SMU that was embarrassing. Um, but their fans, for the most part, didn't show out. I think their student section was still loud, but when the cameras panned out, the stadium wasn't all that full so this week i'm holding sean connor accountable he is the associate athletics director for ticket operations and that man should have had that that place loud he should have had all the seats filled and you know he just didn't so i'll be firing somebody every week it's it's nothing personal but sean you're fired was sean a cdc hire I'll I'll have to do some digging and maybe we can tweet that following this episode, but I I'm not sure. Um, lastly, here what I'm gonna keep is you know short and sweet. I'm gonna keep the momentum that we have going into Texas OU. This feels good for me. The drive to Dallas is a long one, and famously the drive from Houston to Dallas sucks. There's nothing to look at. There's only one Bucky's, which is a pain in the neck. Um, but that drive is gonna be sweet. And I can't wait to go up to OU. I'm feeling good. So um, the momentum that we have right now. I don't remember the last time we had optimistic Kevin in October. I'm back, baby. Woo! 
yeah this is this is big this is you gotta bottle this up this is insane <laughs> when was the last time we were four and one andy 2018 on the spot oh 2018 was a good year for us yeah yeah but it started horribly <laughs> that's true yeah um so I'll, I'll go next. Uh, I think the biggest mistake that I saw in the game is we don't play Keelan Robinson enough. He Every time he touches the ball, something good happens. I know a lot of the times it's been in kind of uh, mop-up duty against Rice or Tech um, in, in games where it's not – in parts of games where uh, the play is not necessarily important. Um, but – he is a difference maker. We um, haven't had a player like him in a while. He is so explosive. And I really think we could have won by more at TCU if we would have played him just a little bit more, maybe had three or four more touches uh, his way. Um, fire. Yeah. I, oh, go ahead, well, real quick on Keelan. I, I definitely agree with you, Andy. I feel like, I mean, that was – he was – such a big change of pace coming in like his speed was just insane and then they did try to give him another one just a screen pass and then he just slipped he was he would have broken out for at least 10 12 yards on that but he just slipped and ate some turf but yeah Yeah. i I definitely agree i'm hoping like i don't know how much like sark is like saving his playbook or anything like that but I, i do hope to see him on more um yeah just just more 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 design plays and I really hope to see him, you know, break out here. That'd be awesome. And it's yeah. easy to get him on the field too with with Bijan because, yeah. like you're saying, he's such a nice change of pace because we have power running backs with Bijan and with Roshan and Keelan is is you know agile and quick on the edges. So I I think that him paired with, you know, our other two lead backs is is lethal. And I'd be I'd be surprised if we didn't see him in a two back set this weekend. Yeah, for sure. And Bo, going back to what you said, I think he would have. I went back and watched that play again, where he mm-hmm. had the screen. I really mm-hmm. think he would have scored a touchdown on that play. Oh yeah, because we had blocking oh, down the it. field, and I mean, I didn't see an open defender um, within like ten yards of him um, at that point. And yeah, I think he would have scored. But uh, fire! Um, I'm going to fire AJ Milley. Um Casey in the game against TCU really stare down his receivers. Um, he can't do that this weekend or we're going to um, uh, lose this game in, in my opinion, but I think Casey will, will step it up. But um, AJ, you gotta, you gotta teach Casey to not stare down his receivers. Um, that could have been really bad for us. Um, um, if TCU would have intercepted one of the passes that they dropped. And then um, a player to keep an eye on is Luke Brockemeyer. Um, as we know, he's a Texas legacy. His dad, great player at Texas. And he knows what this game means. He knows the importance of it, not to his, not only to his family, but also to the, to this whole state. And um, it'll just be really important to see how he plays. This is probably the most talent he's gone up against um, athletically this whole year. Um, and it'll just... Um, be crucial to see if he can keep up if his lack of speed is really going to cause any issues or if the intangibles that 
God has given him will play a big role in the, in the outcome of this game. So that's a player I'm going to keep an eye on. Cool. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go pretty quick so we can get into um, some deeper OU analysis. Uh, my mis- our mistake, uh, for, my mistake for this week is our microphones, guys. Uh, we we have we have struggled in the first couple podcasts with our audio quality, and uh, just wanted to uh, to um, let y'all know we have upgraded. So that was our mistake. We're learning from our mistakes. Uh, my fire this week. I want to fire all of the Texas meteorologists. The forecast was so far off. Um, it barely drizzled on Saturday. They were predicting like a muddy field with four or five inches of rain. And um, yeah, when the game started and I saw no rain, I was worried about our under bet, but we still made it. And then uh, I'm going to, for the keep, it's obvious. Someone has to do it um, just because it was such a big performance. But Bijan um, is now second in total yards in FBS. He's averaging 130 yards per game. Um, he's a monster. He's, he's, he's great. Um, big 12 offensive player of the week this week. Also, I heard uh, on the radio today, uh, Tom Lugabille said, if you're actually watching all the football games, there's no way B. John Robinson would not be your, be first on your Heisman ballot right now. So got to keep I love that. Yes. Hi. It's a big time endorsement. Yeah. He's getting some more love on the Heisman odds front. He's, he's a number two running back now. It's littered with QBs, but I feel like he'll get an invite if he just keeps it up. That'd be awesome. And mm-hmm. the guy, the guy's coming out of the first few games of the season relatively healthy. He's not too nicked up. I think he's going to get a ton of rest after getting so many carries last weekend. So we we always text each other. We don't deserve Bijan, and that's true. <laughs> but we especially don't deserve a healthy Bijan. And if I'm an OU fan. I'm scared. Well, Kevin, for sure. I do think it's important to note we do deserve happiness sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the first step toward positive mental health is saying we do deserve the good. <laughs> I feel like I'm in an AA meeting, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's an intervention. <laughs> All right, I can go next year. Um, so my mistake. So. First, I'll say thanks to all the listeners for all the positive feedback about the enemy behind enemy lines segment that we had around the uh, post game YouTube comments. That was uh, some good feedback there. Um, I tried to do the same thing this week, but unfortunately, uh, Coach uh, Patterson did, they didn't post his uh, presser. Um, so we'll be back next week. Hopefully, OU uh, posts theirs after Texas smokes them. I would say my mistake for the week for us during the game is, is not capitalizing on the three turnovers that we generated. I think we got nine total points off of those three turnovers. You know, fortunate, we're lucky we got away with it here, but we'll need to do much better at taking advantage of those opportunities come this week and moving forward. My fire is big 12 refs. I mean, it's pretty obvious. This is, this is going to be a, a, a crowd favorite fire, but, it's just atrocious across the board, rogue pass interference penalties, some ridiculous personal foul, like unnecessary roughness calls on Overshone and Cook. We did get bailed out on a few. I think Jared Wiley, there's no way in the world he would have caught that. If we searched deep within our soul, 
I don't think there's any way that he would have caught that. And then that bogus taunting penalty in the end zone right after TCU did the same thing in front of the cameras. It was just awful. Um, and then my keep, I would say, is Digger the Kicker. So I could probably speak collectively for all of us. I think we all fell off the Dicker bandwagon for a while. You know, we were losing confidence in him. We haven't needed to rely on him these past couple games. So it was fine, but he, he, I think he was one for three up to this season and just kind of took him for granted. This past game, he scored 14 of our 32 points. I mean, even though we didn't get in the end zone on those turnovers, he still put points on the board for us. He was four for four. And something I saw in my research this week, he's actually the number three all-time scoring kicker at Texas. I don't know if y'all knew that. So he's got 338 points and he's just, one point shy of second and 20 shy of the all time. So he's going to finish out his season like all time at Texas, which is insane. Um, and, you know, on top of that, he's increased his duties by having the punt, which we've talked about as a group. None of us are kicking experts, but the mechanics of punting and kicking, it is, it is a lot to put on his shoulder. So um, yeah. yeah, definitely, you know, keeping an eye on him and honestly, like, I mean, he got a special team player that, player of the week, I think, or co-special teams player of the week. It was well-deserved. I mean, he did a he did a fantastic job for us. Yeah, Bo, I was looking through some stats earlier today, and he's actually has the 10th most uh, yards punting on average of any punter in, in college football right now. So he's like actually a top 10 punter. And if you take those, take away those that haven't punted at least five times, he's seventh. Wow. What That's is crazy. Problem? That's awesome. That's wild. Also wanted to jump in here and kind of add to that on on Dicker Bowen. I was watching Sark's uh, Monday presser this week, and he mentioned briefly that before the TCU game, they made an adjustment on holder on field goals and extra points. Mm-hmm. I think uh, previously Hudson Card was holding for him, and he he missed a couple of field goals early in the season for us, and and wasn't comfortable with Hudson, and. Um, Dicker spoke up and actually asked for a change. So poor Hudson Card um, wasn't out there on the field yesterday and probably won't be holding for the remainder of the season because Dicker uh, got got a little bit of a change up there. He had a new holder in the TCU game, and I think he's going to be comfortable and just, you know, blasting field goals and, and everything else. He kicks every ball that we kick. So it's, it's good to see nice. him speak up to do too and feel comfortable to do that and make a change that makes him more comfortable out there having having been the hero of the last texas ou win you know you love to see a a, a healthy dicker moving into texas ou yeah definitely agreed i think that's the last game we were all in attendance for at least that's the last game i went to so i mean last red river game um that's the last one i went to so i think that's the last one we've all been to together all right, that's that's enough recap of TCU. Um, good stuff, guys. But uh, we're gonna move into our legendary Longhorn moment. Who, as always, will be presenting, uh, presented by Andy. So this week, I decided to do a little bit of a changeup. Um, these guys know that I have been going to this game every single year since the uh, since two thousand, and this game means a lot to me. Um, and you know, some people might just say it's a game. It's, it might be intense, but nothing really much more than that. But to me, it, it, it has a 
more of an importance in my life. And so I wrote a little snippet um, and I called it, why does this game matter? This upcoming Saturday will be my 22nd consecutive Texas OU game at the Cotton Bowl. My friends will tell anyone that it's absurd that I remember the scores and key plays from every game, not just most of them, all of them, but why? Why are these memories so ingrained in my mind? Sure, it is one of the best rivalries in all of sports. Sure, there is an abundance of passion from both fan bases. Sure, it is the most unique setting for a game that I've ever attended and most likely ever will. However, none of those things is the main reason. I started this game, I started going to this game in 2000 when I was seven years old. It was cold, wet, and a flat out terrible game from the Longhorn perspective. We ended up losing 63 to 14. Honestly, my dad couldn't have picked a worse Texas OU game to take his seven year old son for the first time. My lasting memory from that day actually had nothing to do with the game. Rather, riding bumper cars and exploring the funhouse with my dad are the memories I take away from that day. Despite not having any fond memories of the game itself, that was the day I became hooked. Still looking for that main reason, it's family. Now, one, one might look at the family angle and describe it as cornier than Fletcher's finest dogs. And I can't argue with that. But for the past 20 years, I've attended all of these games with my dad and my brother. No matter what result, no matter what the result of the game, I experience the wide range of emotions that second Saturday in October produces with them. And how families tend to grow as time goes on. I now go up to Dallas every single year with the love of my life and some of the closest friends I have on this planet as one big family reunion. In these times where division is rampant, it is a blessing to have something that unites us Texans together. The sky is blue, the grass is green, and OU will forever suck. These things are given, but I know that each time I attend one of these games, it is, it is truly an honor. I hope for the opportunity to take a son or daughter to this game with the rest of my family. Maybe, just maybe, he or she will see this game through the same lens as I and so many others see it. If you ever have the chance to go to the game, whether it may be this Saturday or sometime in the future, stand at the top of the main entrance, look over the crowd, take it in, and realize that the game you're about to watch matters. Hook them. And we will be back right after this break. Do you ever find yourself broken and unable to cancel your Texas football message board monthly membership? Do you frequently refresh the 2023 recruiting commit list? Come join us at Everest Wellness Center to cleanse your soul and rebalance as a human being. Join us for your annual football expectation letdown and become a better you. Join Everest today. My goodness, Andrew. Way to set the stage. Holy moly. All right. Our upcoming segment is we're starting to preview this upcoming OU game. First off, let's... Let's take everybody's temperature. Are we excited, nervous, or apathetic? I can go first. I feel like I'll always be nervous Texas OU week. 
I mean, I feel optimistic. I mean, based on what we've talked about up up to this point in the pod so far, like I do feel like our team has a pretty strong identity and I do have confidence in Sark of being a very run first offense. I feel like a lot of coaches in the past just say that as coach speak, but he really believes in it. And I don't get the sense that OU has really found that team identity. So a win here to start off our crazy October would, would just be awesome. I think I'm about a, with all that being said, though, I think I'm, I, I think I'm still like an, at an 8.5 on the nervous scale. Definitely, um, definitely worried, but, um, you know, excited at the same time. Jake, what about you? Yeah. Are you effing kidding me? This is, this is the week of all weeks. I am so pumped. Um, there's no room for fear or nerves or any of that crap in this game. I will, uh, I will be thoroughly enjoying this 93 degree game with the Fletcher's corn dog in one hand and a Coors Light in the other, uh, probably without sunscreen and a slight headache from Friday night's margaritas, but only infinite optimism, Texas by 40. Let's go. Did y'all hear that? We, we almost had our first F word on this podcast. We are jacked. <laughs> <laughs> so I've used words like terrified and scared in this segment thus far, but this week, I am excited. I've done more scouting of the upcoming opponent this week than I ever have done before. And I think y'all will be pleased to hear some of the things that I uncovered here in the next few segments. Um, more to come on that later, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling very excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Kev. I'm super pumped. I really think we have a lot of momentum going in. We have a lot of optimism. And um, I really am feeling bullish on uh, on what the outcome is going to be for this game. I really don't fear this OU team like I have in the past. And, you know, there's always a little bit of nerves going into this game, but that's just part of this game. Um, but I'm about as excited as I can be going into this game. All so right. next up, we have our regular segment. Would you have gone to this school if they gave you a full ride? No. 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 Uh, I guess that's unanimous. Okay, so we're going up to the next segment right here. Um, I'm about to present the first special guest of the Football on the 40 podcast. And no other than, uh, none other than my lovely wife, Mary Paige Harris. So take it away. Well, I'm the first guest. I feel honored. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the pod, Mary Page. I'm so pumped. Um, so we know the Longhorns are great. We've seen Sark is great so far, but you're only as great as your right-hand woman. Am I right, guys? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I think L'Oreal brings a lot to the table. I mean, she's truly the first lady of the UT campus. I'd say she's done a great job showing up as a coach's wife. She's represented him well. But I can also say she has represented the female fans very well and has set the standards high. You could almost say she's like a Jackie Kennedy, but not that Sark's JFK. But I think her outfits deserve some analysis. You guys have analyzed the game really well, but let's have some time for some fashion analysis. So let's look at the first outfit she wore was to the Louisiana game. She donned a black hat, white ruffle blouse, Transparent black skirts was a little bit of, ow, but still reserved. 
Then you've got the Arkansas game. She had some name brands. She, we got some Chanel, some Gucci, a blue blazer with just a hint of burnt orange. Then we see when she plays rice, we have this pattern on pattern, kind of breaking some fashion rules, setting some new trends with her Chanel purse, of course. I'm seeing a Chanel pattern here. And then a little bit of a jacket that has some fiery colors. I'm not sure if she did that on purpose, thought we were gonna bring the fire to rice, which we sure did. Um, then let's look at when, she, when we played tech, she wore a high-waisted pantsuit, breaking the rule of white after Labor Day, but let's say she's L'Oreal, she can do whatever she wants. Um, and then we see in our last week's game against TCU, we had some denim on denim, we spotted some Jimmy Choo and Alexander McQueen. So my question is, what brands do you think we'll see her in this week? Ooh. What do you say, guys? It's your time to show I need your to see knowledge. I need to see L'Oreal rock some Angler or Wrangler. I agree with you that she she was rocking the denim last week and she really brought it to the right city. Fort Worth is a little western, and I think she did her research. I don't know if she's lived in texas before or is new to the texas culture texas vibes but i think she put a lot of thought into that so i'm i'm expecting a little bit more you know cowgirl theme this weekend up in dallas yeah we haven't seen boots yet have we we have not this could be the time could be a telling weekend so what do y'all think she might be wearing this weekend it's a big weekend you could argue it's the biggest game of the season that's that's one prediction that I I don't know if I'm comfortable making. That's out of my Ooh, out of my yeah, area. That's tough. <laughs> she well, I will the... say, if you take a close look at the outfits she has worn, there's only been a hint of burnt orange in all of her apparel, and so I don't know if it's that she was trying not to be too bold and want to make a big stance on what the season would look like. But I could say the way our season has started, maybe this will be. The weekend where she wears full-on burnt orange not a hint but full-on maybe a burnt orange blouse we'll see i think that's looking so at her instagram now she's she claims to be the founder of herself the only person that i'm aware of that was arguably the founder of themselves was was jesus christ so she holds her herself in <laughs> in very high regards but shout out l'oreal for all business inquiries it's business at l'orealsarkeesian.com according to her instagram yeah, I follow her. I follow her. She also has a separate fashion account. So are you a true follower if you don't follow both of L'Oreal's accounts? I do not follow L'Oreal Luciana. Well, the most important thing of the game is to make sure that you are dressed and ready for the weather and a longhorn win. So when we look at the weather this week, we have a 2% chance of rain, low of 69, high of 92. And regardless of the temperature, OU still... Sucks. 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 That's right. So I'd stay away with that summer heat. I'd stay away from jeans and button downs. Oh, sorry, pledges. Um, but I think with the new fall weather that's hopefully coming soon, we might see some suede, some suede hats. Um, people tend to really think carefully about their outfit because you can't mess up that picture after the winning game with big techs and your Fletcher's corny dog in the other hand. Mary Page, question for you. So from my observations on Instagram, especially, I feel like our fashion icon before L'Oreal was Matthew McConaughey. Do you think that she has 
taken the throne of, you know, the culture lead of the Texas Longhorns football fans from Matthew McConaughey? Oof, that's a tough one. I totally agree. I think Matthew McConaughey really was our kind of cultural icon, if you will. But L'Oreal has really caught the attention of the ladies and probably some male friends out there. And let me just say, she has taken the world by storm, at least the Longhorns for sure. Yeah, I'm looking at her, the Gucci shorts that she wore to the Arkansas game. Those look so cool. Like I didn't, yes. I didn't notice it before the segment. So thanks for pointing me to that. She really Those steps it up. Really McConaughey cool kind of brought that cool soft look, but she really brings a lot of class to the game. She's bringing some pop and I like the colors too, but you mentioned her, her pattern on pattern outfit. I'm looking that looking at that now too. And uh, guys, that looks oddly similar to a, you know, a modern art rendition of a Maryland uniform. Yo, so. that's exactly what I first thought of too, Kevin. I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> I literally thought of Maryland. Don't I hurt. think we both have some trauma from Maryland. Oh that's exactly what I thought of too. And the, and the skirt too. I mean, that's like part of their little crest that they have, right? I mean, I, we're not going crazy, are we, Kevin? Maybe we're overthinking this, but she's sending <laughs> us some signals. Like... <laughs> only guys could tie that back to another school's <laughs> Sark to Maryland? <laughs> please no, please no. Hidden signal here. Well, thank you all so much for having me. That's all I got, but I'm honored to have been your first guest, and I hope to be back again soon. Thank you for being here, Mary Page. That was awesome. Well, I'll be excited to see what L'Oreal brings to the game at the Red River, River Rivalry this weekend. And next up, I think we have another ad from one of y'all sponsors. This episode of Football in the 40 is brought to you by Kai Money. Steadfast, rugged, dependable on third down. Kai, if you're out there, please reach out to us on our social media. We have a lucrative $75 NIL deal with all the perks waiting for you whenever you want it. Come build your brand. Texas by 40. And we are back. Kevin is going to lead us into the breakdown of our hated rival. So as we mentioned earlier, obviously this is a huge, massive week for us, so the prep gets more intensive, right? Andrew and I took a deep dive into OU season thus far to try to glean out any trends, uh, strength, and weaknesses from this OU team that we're going to face in Dallas. We're going to start off by um, reviewing their season overall and using that as the basis for why we have certain opinions and takes on their statistics this year compared to others. Um, so we're going to start off by reviewing their team and their season. We're then going to get into how their offense has looked, and we're going to finish with some analysis on trends that we see on the defensive side of the ball for OU. So Starting off here, uh, we're going to get into a little bit of a breakdown on the OU team and the competition that they've faced thus far. So to start off, uh, we did a comparison of the teams that OU's faced versus what we've seen uh, thus far this season. And we're not going to factor in too much games against each of our purple nemesis. Um, obviously, we played TCU last week and they took on Kansas State, who, whom they've struggled with for the past few years. but the first four teams that OU saw this season currently today 
have a combined total of six wins. OU played four pretty bad opponents all at home to start the season, and you would expect a high-performing offense to get against those opponents. And basically their strength of schedule thus far is not very high. When you compare that to what Texas has faced in those same four weeks, our opponents that we faced had a total of 16 wins, 10 more wins combined than OU's opponents. So, Andrew, what do you think about OU's competition? I mean, if you look at it, so let's just go game by game. So Tulane, you look at that game and um, OU goes out to a big lead. They're up 37-14, and you think they have it under control. In kind of a typical Lincoln-Riley fashion, uh, Tulane makes its way back, had a chance to go down the field and win the game. They ended up coming up a little bit short. But after the game, people were kind of thinking, you know, maybe OU's not as good. Maybe they're not the number two team in the country at that point of the year. Um, but maybe Tulane's not that bad. Maybe they have a bright future. Uh, they played Ole Miss a couple weeks later, and or maybe it was a week later. I forget exactly. And they just get pounded by Ole Miss. Uh, so we're going to kind of see a trend here. Uh, Western Carolina, the, the FCS doesn't really matter, so let's skip them. Uh, Nebraska, if you just kind of look at their game with OU, um, just as one data point, you you would think, oh, you know, maybe Nebraska, um, they could be decent in the Big Ten this year. But we saw them um, in other games this year, especially the first game against Illinois, um, where they just look like crap. And, yeah, I just not very impressed with Nebraska and um, also West Virginia. Um They've kind of had a similar um, feel after their game where we all thought last week that they were going to definitely beat Tech. And what ended up happening, Tech won that game at West Virginia. We had talked about that matchup specifically last week, that it would be interesting. It would be an interesting barometer to see how West Virginia played against Texas Tech, given that Texas played Tech and Oklahoma played West Virginia in, in week four. And we were all surprised to see Tech pull out a W there. So I think that speaks volumes um, to how our teams may match up this week. But um, a lot a lot gets focused on about the offense of OU, right? But in week one, the OU defense gave up 35 points to Tulane at home and really eked out a very uninspiring win. Also, like you mentioned, Andrew, you would think that their game with Nebraska would be pretty telling because that's a big game. But... So far this season, Nebraska has been very uninspiring. They're three and three. And the only meaningful take that I can that I can get from their first four games and start of the season, which were all at home in very comfortable environments, was, you know, this team's uninspired and still building towards something, and we're not sure what that is. I took also a look at the offensive production this season so far compared to what Lincoln Riley has done in his tenure at Oklahoma. These teams, not for the most part, but in total, these teams are all defined by excellent country-leading offenses led by quarterbacks that are typically in New York for the Heisman. And this season so far, OU's averaging 38 points, which at first glance sounds you know pretty good. That sounds like a decent offense, which they are. But when you compare that to their previous four seasons, 
In those four seasons, their worst point average was nearly 43 points. Of course, that's over the course of a season, and OU hasn't had the chance to kind of level out their performances so far. But going into the Red River rivalry game, we're not expecting to face a high-powered offense led by someone dynamic like Kyler Murray or, or Baker Mayfield. It, it's been looking different so far this season. In watching film from the last few games, we uncovered some some interesting trends on both offense and defense that are pretty telling and explain OU's struggles and strengths to some extent um, thus far this season. So as yeah. we continue to break down, sorry, Andrew, did you have something there? Yeah, I got something real quick to say. Like you're talking about their their points per game, and you would think, you know, earlier earlier on in the season, you're playing teams that are not up to the caliber of your team and so you would think um you would think that their point total per game would be higher than kind of what the average has been the last few years because as the season goes on usually are in tighter games you don't score as many points uh so being less in the than the lowest um average over the past four seasons is really telling definitely agree Definitely agree. As, as we continue kind of getting into the breakdown of OU and what we're going to face, we're going to take a deeper look at their offense so far. Um, I think, you know, the, the most headlines coming out of their offense has been the, the continuing story of Spencer Rattler, who started the season as the leading Heisman candidate and has struggled a little bit so far this season. Uh, you would expect Spencer in that OU offense to be ranked very highly in things like passing efficiency and passing yards. Spencer is currently ranked in the FBS 32nd in passing efficiency and 30th in passing yards. And an interesting comparison there is how's Tanner Mordecai doing? Tanner Mordecai transferred from OU to SMU, I believe last season and has been having a stellar year at SMU and Tanner Mordecai is eighth in passing efficiency and seventh in passing yards. So the wrong quarterback quarterback might've transferred. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah. I mean, if we even take a look back at the, at last year's game, um, Tanner had to come into the game to uh, replace Spencer Rattler. Uh, Rattler was being rattled as one might say. Okay. That was corny, but um in all seriousness, Rattler just didn't have a great game last year. Mordecai had to come in for a bit um, and kind of help steer the ship while um, Rattler kind of got his mind back together. Um, I, I don't think it, there's really an argument about who has more talent, but Mordecai has really played well this year for SMU. And, um, you know, things could be a little bit different if he was leading OU's uh, offense this year. Sadly, we may never know, but it's it's hard not to pay attention to that comparison. So we saw in the West Virginia game something very interesting from from their fans, something that we haven't seen in a fan reaction to an OU quarterback maybe ever. What happened, Andrew? Caleb Williams. We want Caleb. Yeah, that's what it was. I, I think that some of these chants that are coming from the student section are they're not led by the seasoned OU fan that buys season tickets every year. They're led by the students, which 
is is very interesting to me. If you think from a student perspective, um, Spencer probably wasn't on campus a whole lot last season because of COVID precautions and Zoom classes, and is now back on campus interacting with, with his peers a little bit, interacting with the other students. So um, we learned a little bit about Spencer in Netflix's series called QB1 Beyond the Lights, where they preview the you know, the premier high school recruits for that particular year. I think it was three years ago or so where they, where Spencer Rattler was included in that series and not to dog on the guy too much, but the producers in that series really highlighted how he treated his peers, how he treated his classmates and his teammates. And he famously, you know, bullied them, bullied his teammates, gave his, his, uh, quarterback that backed him up a very hard time that quarterback was also a very a very highly rated recruit and is probably starting for a d1 program now and he wasn't the typical leader that you see from a high school quarterback and he was sort of demeaning and and rude to his peers so i kind of wonder if he's done similar things in classes but it's just interesting to see the fans and especially the the students not get behind him yeah i mean when you don't have a leader in charge for um, as your QB, it really makes things difficult. Um, you know, as Texas fans, we couldn't stand Baker. We couldn't stand Kyler. But at the end of the day, I don't think we could argue about their leadership. They led their teams well. And I just don't see that with Spencer. Jalen really led OU well. I, I didn't think that OU team a couple of years ago was super great. I mean, defensively, they were good. Um, but other than C.D. Lamb that year, they weren't super great, in my opinion, even though they made the playoff. Um, but I, I felt like Jalen really kind of lifted the team up. And it shows a difference when when you have a team that maybe isn't as talented and you lift that team up versus a team that is pretty talented and you're not living up to the potential. And not to harp on Spencer too, too much, right? Because both of us have watched a lot of film on OU and through that, you know, the extra hours that we put in on Sunday and, and uh, you know, over the weekend, I think both of us saw that his woes and his performances so far, it really aren't on him. I feel like as, you know, just an observer, I'm not an OU fan. Obviously, I don't, ro- I don't root for them, but watching their games, I'm trying to watch them from a neutral perspective, right? And he's he's not getting any help from his offensive line. Um, the offensive line is really breaking down in pass protection. And for what it's worth, Spencer is still very accurate in those situations and has continued to be productive dis- despite some interceptions so far this season. So I know that the fan base is very frustrated and we're hearing those chants from their fans that I honestly wouldn't be surprised to hear this weekend in Dallas. But the offensive line is not helping the guy out. And I think that that's the source of those issues. Did you see some of the same things? Yeah. I mean, I don't think this might be OU's worst offensive line in eight years or so. I mean, a really key component to their offense and why they were so high powered was they were just getting such good push with their offensive line, um, which um, allowed them to have such a good running attack which um, I think we're about to get into too. And um, the running backs this year, they're fine, but they're not great. 
Um, and I think part of that is also tied to the offensive line. Um, you know, they just had a lot of talent that got drafted by the NFL over the past few years. And it just doesn't seem like they have the same level of talent this year. Um, and so I think that's going to be a really big uh, component to the game. If Texas can get pressure, if they can stop the run, that will benefit Texas a lot going into this game. I, I definitely agree. And I would caution our expectations, right? Because although Spencer is not the dynamic runner in the pocket and, you know, doesn't, doesn't squat 600 pounds, like, like Jalen hurts. He is, he is shifty in the pocket and hasn't been sacked very often. So he's still moving around and getting chunk yardage in the short passing game. So we should expect to see a lot of activity from our linebackers on the edges um, because OU is still going to be productive. It's just interesting to see this offense not produce quite like we've seen in the past few years, which really informs our expectations coming into this game. Um, You mentioned the running backs as we kind of round out our analysis of trends that we saw from their offense. Um, I was noticing that OU wasn't, trying to establish the run early on in the West Virginia game, especially, and seem to default to a short passing game where as Texas fans, we've seen the run constantly, especially in the first half. So it was pretty telling to see them default to the passing game very early and have a scrambling quarterback that wasn't getting, you know, 60 yard plays downfield every other drive, like we're used to seeing for OU. Interesting thing about the running backs is I found that, they only have two scholarship running backs on their roster right now, which is absurd to think about with their recruiting abilities and especially Lincoln Riley's ability to uh, take advantage of the transfer portal and fill his roster with, with transfers where they need depth. The fact that they only have two scholarship running backs is just a huge question in my mind and might be interesting if they encounter any, any injuries in the game this weekend. Yeah, I mean, that would be quite devastating to OU if they did have any injuries. You never wish that on a team, even a team like OU. But, um, you know, just kind of going a little deeper dive into the running backs, uh, Kennedy Brooks, you know, he's a good, decent running back, I guess. I mean, I don't think he does anything exceptionally well. Um, but he is decent about a little bit of everything um, at the position. So uh, he's a player to keep an eye on, but it's not someone you fear, Um, but he can still get his yards. Um, Eric Gray, I kind of am more nervous about. He's definitely a a player where if he gets out in the open space, he can make a player miss. He can get those big plays, which Texas really focuses on not – um, allowing to the other team. Uh, Coach Pete's mentality has very much been don't break. And so that's something I do worry about a little bit is uh, him in the open field. And you know Lincoln is going to try to get him, get him out into open space and try to create issues with our defense. I agree there. Eric Gray seems to be the more dynamic option in the passing game, and we should become very familiar with his last name and jersey number because we will be seeing production from him, and he's going to challenge our secondary um, with those dump passes and screens on the offensive side of the ball. So we rounded out the offense. Last but not least is Oklahoma's defense. I think our analysis here will be a little bit shorter than others, but um, 
Andrew, what were you seeing from the defensive line? You know, they have a real solid defensive line. Um, they, I think it's the best defensive line in the Big 12. So that's saying something. Um, and I think we had the best running attack in the Big 12. So um, it will be interesting to see who wins out. And I think that's a huge key to the game. Um, over the last, uh, over the last 21 years, uh, 18 times the team that has won the game has won the rushing battle. And so if OU, I think if they are going to win this game, it's going to be because of their defensive line having our way with our offensive line, which they definitely have the capability um, to do so. And so that's going to be my most important um, thing to watch this weekend. Um, if OU is getting pressure in the backfield, it might be not so good for the Longhorns. If we are able to push them around, um, I, I think that really benefits Texas. Um, and so we do have the best running back um, in the country, in my opinion. And so uh, OU is going to have their hands full, but they do have the talent to at least contain Bijan. One thing that I'm seeing from their defensive line is they, they specialize in a scheme that we, we've really struggled with so far this season. It's, it's typical. I'd say about three quarters of the plays that I saw, one of their defensive linemen typically on the edge early in the play was disengaging from his block on the edge and running through the hole in the middle of the line, similar to what you typically see a running back do. Um, so they're, they're plugging holes and getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback by moving laterally on the defensive line early on in the play. And we should, we should be ready to see some sacks and crimson jerseys in the backfield at least several times a drive. It's, it's going to be an issue, and we need to leverage that with plays to the edge and quick passing game because if, if we try to run any play that is long to develop in the first few drives, we're going to see some sacks. So that's a huge strength of their defense. Now, on the defensive backfield, I, I think that they've dealt with some injuries early in the season, and in the West Virginia game especially, I was seeing a lot of zone coverage and deep safeties preventing preventing the long play. They were they were playing like they were terrified of the deep ball and seemed to want to draw the offenses into the red zone and then try to make them kick for three. Every play over the top, there's always a free safety coming at an angle, telling me that he was way downfield by the by the time the play started to develop. So there's gonna be massive gaps in the middle of the field that I think we need to attack there. Um, Lots of high free safety looks. There's going to be opportunity for 10 to 15 yard chunk plays for people like Keelan Robinson and Bijan Robinson coming out of the backfield and Jordan Whittington coming across the field in the middle, finding soft spots in their zone. So I'm not too concerned about moving the ball, especially against their secondary. And if they have to bring any of those guys forward to stop Bijan in the run game, we could possibly see balls finally hitting and some long touchdowns but that's I, I just think that would be I know OU's done that and that's really good analysis Kev of how their um, secondary has been playing but I just think that would be such a mistake against our team if they try to do that because we haven't hit the deep ball um, and also we have a very good running game and so I, I would dare 
if I was OU, I would dare us to try to throw the deep ball. But we, we're pretty good as an intermediate passing team. Um, and so that will be really interesting to see um, how they um, – if they keep that up going into our game or if they'll change it up and play more close to the line. Yeah. So to kind of round it out here, I think the major the major take that we have is clearly the offense is is still very productive. It's an OU offense led by Lincoln Riley, but compared to prior seasons where Baker averaged 8.3 yards per play, Kyler was averaging 8.6, and Jalen was averaging 8, Spencer Rattler is averaging 6.9 yards per play, which might not sound like much of a difference, but it could be the edge that, that Texas needs to, to get the W this weekend. Looking forward to watching it from the stands. Can't wait to see everything play out on the field, but we're feeling more confident this year than in years past because of what we've seen OU put out on the field against very mediocre opponents. But what we are most excited about is this next ad read. This week, we are brought to you by the Longhorn Family Platform. We're excited to announce a first-of-its-kind partnership between Football in the 40 and the Longhorn Family that will be a catalyst for enriched Texas football analysis going forward this season. Founded by Blake and Trent Madden, Longhorn Family is your one-stop shop for family-oriented Texas football banter. Everything Blake touches turns to gold. Subscribe to Longhorn Family today at longhornfamily.substat.com. And we're back for another exciting segment of Gambling Corner. So against TCU, the over-under was 67 and Texas by four. We beat them by five, barely covered the spread. And, you know, for our season-long betting game of $1,000 picks, we had a great week as well. For the week, we were up $81 and 20, 82 cents, excuse me. And in total, we're up around $295, or sorry, not dollars, bow coins. Um, you know, our bets, we did ultimately rely on Texas to perform well. We've been pretty reliant on them. But we also had some nice picks around the league, most of us at least. Kevin certainly has some questionable decisions, um, you know, favoring TCU that we highlighted earlier in the pod. We had some, um, you know, hunches that we had elsewhere around the league, but for the most part, we were still positive and, you know, you just got to keep making money. And I think this is, this is really the week where we will make our money. You know, tech, oh, we saw for our, the OU opened at minus three and a half and the line, the over under, excuse me, is at 63 and a half. This is the first time this season that Texas into a game as the underdog. Um, pretty importantly though, we know that OU is undefeated. It's been pretty well, you know, discussed and we're four and one right now, but importantly, OU is actually one in four against the spread. So they're winning, but not as much as Vegas really expects them to. And, and we're also four and one against the spread too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see how, you know, what will, how we'll approach this game from a betting perspective. Unfortunately, player props aren't available quite yet. Um, but I'm sure we'll see a lot of those as well. But what are you guys thinking about the game? That, that minus three and a half, I feel like given how confident we are in Texas, that seems like a no-brainer, right? We could even take Texas outright on the money line. What are y'all thinking? You know, Kev, maybe you start us off. So I got to right my wrongs, and, and I think that I'll be on, you know, on everyone else's side this week. So I'm 
I'm feeling good about what we will see this weekend. Um, I also hitting the over given that, you know, we know their offense is struggling, but they're still going to put up a lot of points. So I'm, I'm feeling cover. Um, and I, and I would want to parlay that with the over too, because this is going to be um, sort of a, a blitzkrieg game with a lot of paint in the end zones, getting, getting knocked away with various players diving and, and running through the end zone and both sides of the field. So um, I'm, I'm wanting to put down 50, 50 bow coin on that parlay with Texas covering in the over. I think right. we should I like also, it. I think we should also um, put a hundred on Texas on the money line. Ooh. All right. Texas Why not money line. <laughs> <laughs> Go all in. Oh, I like the rest of the Texas season will be so sad if we lost. I don't know about all in. <laughs> <laughs> and just an update on, you know, this is a season-long betting game. Jake is in first place right now of the three. You better believe Kevin it. Is, Kevin is in the rear. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's we still got a long season ahead. Big 12 game, too, and playoffs, right? So plenty of time to, to make up some headway. Andy, what about you? You like anything in this game or really anywhere else around the league, too, um, for Jake and Kevin, too? Some notable lines that I saw, um, Georgia minus 14 and a half against Auburn. Georgia's just been so good. Um, a closer a closer game, too, is TCU minus one and a half against Texas Tech. I mean, that's those are both opponents we've played. If you like TCU a lot more than Tech, that might be an option. And then the, ba- the Bama A&M game down in College Station this weekend minus 17 and a half to for Bama. So anywhere, anything else though, I'm, I'm happy to pull up, pull together some lines too. Let's get some bets out there. Let's get some money out there. I want to throw um, some, some money at the, at the Aggies. And this isn't to, you know, trample anyone's grave or hopes for a good season, but the A&M just doesn't seem that dynamic on offense. Like I don't see them putting up a ton of points, especially if they go down early game. So I'd like to toss 50 bow coin at, at, the the crimson tide covering in that game good bet i'm thinking that's gonna be a total beat down like bad i think i predicted 60 to 14 is the score for that game and i mean my my deepest sympathies to the aggie fans to to give your coach a, a guaranteed 10-year contract extension and a massive raise and then essentially turn around and lose three games straight like that that cannot be fun, but it doesn't change our bets here. Uh, you could you could put a lot of food on the table betting on Bama regardless of, of who they're playing. So I, I agree. I think that's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. We highlighted that in episode one. I think we said collectively as a group, we we fared much better betting on Bama since we've come of gambling age than we have Texas. So, yeah, that feels pretty safe with me. All right, we got $50 on Bama to cover the 17 and a half. I don't like the Georgia-Auburn game at all because that's a rivalry game, and 14 and a half points is a lot in a rivalry game. So I wouldn't I wouldn't touch that personally. And it's at Auburn too. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Georgia much better and probably will win, but 14 has a lot of points. It's, it's not a lock, that's for sure. I actually um, – there was another game that I was looking at. Now, I don't know how y'all feel about this, but I think – the Michigan at Nebraska game is a good one to watch. Uh, Michigan's favored by three. 
this is really Michigan's first true big test of the season, I think. Um, everyone's kind of like, eh, Michigan, just whatever. But Nebraska at home, you know, another sellout crowd. I think that I think that I would put some money there. But before I make that bet, I just want to know what y'all are feeling. I mean, they did have a they did have a good. I mean, you can say what you want about Wisconsin, but I mean, yeah, their record is what one and three now. But I don't think they're like a terrible opponent. Like if Wisconsin and Nebraska play, do y'all think Wisconsin wins or Nebraska on neutral field? Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin wins. The flying cheese. We won't make the bet, but just let the record show I called the upset in Lincoln. Um, we could, we could do, we could do one more for fun, Bo. Um, the toilet bowl, UMass versus UConn, you got a line <laughs> on that game. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember that. Okay. One second. Let me find it. Yeah. Is it UConn. actually called the toilet bowl? No, but these are like the no, two No, it's just because they're, they, they're so yeah, bad. they don't have. <laughs> Unbelievable that they're even playing. I think they're 0-6 and 0-5. Um, and UConn own, is, UConn is three and a half point favorites. Yeah, I would probably take UConn. You like UConn? All right, Jay, I don't know how we you should on it. On it <laughs> you can just sprinkle bet. 25 on it or something. Okay, is it is it um, is it wrong of me if I also take uh, Texas in the money line since Jake has already done that? No, if you yeah, like it, then on. you like it. Okay, 100, 100 on Texas on the money line? Nice. Big. Is yeah, that a big nice. set of the season? No, Jake just did that too. I thought. Week one, uh, you put a Kevin. You put hundred ten on the over, uh, so slightly. Yeah. But this would be the if it well if it won, I think the money line is pretty close to the parlay that you would have gotten. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely up there. Andy, do you like so, anything else? Well, just to clarify, so Texas would just have to. They would. If, like, by doing that, I need Texas to win outright. Correct? Yeah, they just need to be the outright winner. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they're going to win. So, let's do that. And then let's uh, let's throw 25 on Baylor um, to cover. All right. Let me see what that they, one is. They so play West Virginia. I'm seeing minus three. Are you seeing that too? Yeah. Okay. All right. Nice. We got another. Want to add any? Ooh, well, I have some some real real dollars on on Texas um, covering covering the spread this game. So I don't know if I need any bo- any bow coin on this. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty excited about this game. I'm I'm a bit nervous because I I've taken a break the past couple of weeks because of our performance against Arkansas. So I'm throwing my Throw throwing some dollars back in. So throwing, I'm like, cautious. Not not bo bo coin, but Bose coin. Like Bose I, coin, yeah. <laughs> IRL in real life money. So Bo, <laughs> uh, what, uh, what's the total we got on this week in play? Looks like we have um about three fifty three fifty out there. So pretty good, pretty good. Um, I mean, if we keep a little money to make a little money. Yeah, we're we're positive two weeks. I mean, if we keep this up, maybe you know later on in the season we gotta we gotta put some real money in there. Yeah, maybe some money no, out of this endeavor. We'll start with a thousand real dollars and see. What 
Awesome. Right. Well, thanks, guys. I'll get. I'll make sure to get these uh, these fake bets in, and we'll keep tracking it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Texas by forty. By forty. Thanks, Bo. We are uh, moving into our last segment here, where we make predictions for the week. So, who wants to lead us off? I'll take this. You know, in my experience of going to so many of these games and just having so much more knowledge than y'all. Okay, just <laughs> kidding. But. Um, you know, just we've laid it out pretty clearly. I, I feel like all of us are pretty optimistic about the outcome of this game. Um, I just think we are coming into this game with a lot of momentum. We are the underdog, which is great um, for us personally, I think. And I just, I just don't think this is an OU team that, that should be feared. They can definitely win the game, but I think if Texas plays to their potential, I, I, I really think we're going to win this game. So I got a score of 38 to 27 for Texas. Nice. I uh, I think this is going to be a classic high-scoring Red River shootout, and I'm going 48-42 uh, Texas. That is a high-scoring game. I love that. I'm also in the 40s. I'm going to take Texas at 41-31. I think we're going to see some – Great offensive play and a few field goals on each side of the ball because both teams have excellent kickers. Um, but I'm taking Texas by 10 here. Kevin, did you just change your score like four times in the Google Doc? I literally just decided what my winning score was. <laughs> I think you changed like three times while Andy was going. I was doing math on my phone just to make sure that it, it was like logical numbers. <laughs> gut feel, gut feel, Kev. <laughs> I have a pretty close scoreline too. I think it'll be close throughout. I think Bijan puts another performance at the end to really close them out. I have Texas 42, OU 35. Andy, or not Andy, Ham, what about you? What are you thinking? Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's going to be a high scoring game. I think it's going to be very close. I've got Texas winning 42 to 38. Awesome. Well, that concludes our predictions. And that also concludes this week's show. As a programming note, Bowen will be out next week, sadly. Uh, we will He will still be giving his gambling notes via recording, but he will be in Hawaii celebrating his honeymoon. So uh, we're, we're very happy for him and wish him a, an awesome week in Hawaii. So uh, just as a note for next week, but uh, hopefully when we come to you uh, next week at this time, we will be uh, riding high at... Um, atop the big 12 standings by ourselves but we'll see uh until next time we we wish you a a great texas ou weekend uh hook them and uh, see you next week